Welcome back to Revelation On Demand Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and this is going to be a solo episode. Chris is doing all right. He's just out for this weekend, so I'm going to be doing this by myself. Hopefully, I'll keep you entertained, and we can learn a little bit about the book that we're going through, which we've been going through Amos. A little update on Lent. I'm doing all right. Uh, after we're on like day 12 now, because if you remember correctly, uh, I'm not doing the Lent that has the breaks every Sunday. So I'm just doing 40 days up until Easter and we are like at day 12 or 13. I've lost track, but uh, for those who don't know, I gave up uh, video gaming, which is one of my hobbies and basically one of the things I like to do just to relax. So but this was something that I, I felt called to give up for this this period just to prove to myself and that, you know that I can do without it. So if there's things that you feel like become a little too controlling in your life, it might be a good idea to uh, let go of those for a little bit and uh, put them away or even a day or two would, would definitely be less drastic than what I'm doing now, uh, 40 days without video games. I'm definitely starting to feel it, but I'm starting to get into the rhythm now, I think, and I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. And I'm looking forward to when this is all over, being able to game again. But, uh, so I want to keep my hearts and prayers out to the people in Ukraine and, uh, just hope that everyone out there is, is getting what they need and is staying safe and that the Ukrainians are pushing back on the Russians and keeping keeping their country in in their in their own territory or whatever uh keeping the sanctity of their country uh, then uh another thing since daylight savings just occurred and everyone loves that uh, i'm not sure if this is a national thing or if this is just local but they were talking about just permanently making dsl a thing so i mean yeah it'd be dark at eight o'clock in the morning in the winter time but especially where we live, but I don't care, honestly, with all the artificial lights we have these days, we just make time, time and stop changing it. I mean, I can understand changing time to different zones so that they're kind of in the same area, but honestly, I would be fine with just going with a world time and everyone's on the same, same time. So uh, I could see something like that coming in the future pretty soon and just everyone works on the same time it's just depending on what side of the world you're on now that's going to raise a whole bunch of issues with everyone being like well why why do they get to be why do they get you know the normal time where it's sun up at you know eight and then it's sundown at eight like why do they get the normal time but i could see with the way globalization's coming along that we could move towards a world time instead of necessarily time zones anymore but that's probably still a ways off. Let's just get rid of this silly changing the time to make more daylight. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's get on into Amos. We are in Amos chapter 4. Last time we went over Amos chapter 3, and we've seen a lot about what Amos is doing in this. He's he's very much bringing the fire and brimstone to Jerusalem and, and pointing out, you know, like, hey guys, this is where you're, this is where you're sitting, this is where you're, you're having issues, like, you really need to stop doing this, and you need, to, you need to turn around and repent and come back towards God. Just like many times in the Bible, we see often that Jerusalem, the chosen people, are, you know, following God for a little while, and then all of a sudden... They 
fall off. They start doing other things that aren't necessarily as, as what they're supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden they find themselves in places where they're worshiping false gods and, and doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. So this is just Amos pointing this out to Jerusalem which we see he's one of the first prophets to do this. So there's not a whole lot going into this chapter that's new. It's still all pretty much the same stuff. We're still going over uh, a lot of just like, this is what you did and this is what's going to happen. And then talking a little bit about the end times and what's to come yet. So he's very much in a prophetic way still talking to Israel, like, hey guys, knock it off, come back to God, start doing the right thing. Starting in at chapter 3, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, you will each go straight out through the beaches in the wall, and you will cast out towards Harmon, declares the Lord. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, you tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as thank offering, and brag about your free will offerings. Boast them, boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do declares the sovereign Lord. So very much there's, there's a little bit of <clears throat> sarcasm here in what Amos is telling uh, the Israelites. Uh, starting off here at the beginning, we see the cows of Bashan. So this is a derogatory label for the women of Samaria. So uh, we still do that today. Dirt uh, cow is a derogatory term for a woman, but this is talking about those people in those certain areas. And Bashan was a fertile plateau that was just east of the Sea of Galilee and is known for its cattle. So this might be like a double jab to the, the direct area, you know, like they're known for cattle. So their women are cattle sort of thing. And then the women are guilty of self-indulgence at the expense of the poor. So in the area, they would, they would often abuse the poor and use them in ways that they shouldn't. And then you see that man, many of the other things they do, like the husband's, are just demanding of them and, and stuff like that. And so, and then we see the Lord talk and then we also see Amos talk in several places here. So the location of Harmon is debated. It says right there, you'll be cast out towards Harmon. Uh, there's several different ways to take this in the Septuagint, which would be the Greek translation. It reads as the mountain of Raman, which is an actual location in the area. And then in the Arabic Targum, it reads as the Mount of Armenia, which, or, or Armenia, Armenia, yeah, Armenia, which would, again, talking about the Armenian and the Sumerian people. And then in the Hebrew, it says Hermon, which is the, the word that shows up in our translation here, which is talking about Mount Hermon, which is north of the area. And then this is a typical symbol when, when people are cast out to the north, it's it's kind of a, a deportation or an exile sort of uh, sort of symbol symbology that they use. So, and then we spoke of Bethel in the last episode, and then it also mentions Gilgal, which is a sanctuary near Jericho. So, we're talking about Bethel was this area where 
Jews would come to come and gather their sacrifices and whatnot. And then this, this sanctuary near Jericho was called Gilgal. So these are two areas that they're, they're, they're to come and gather and they're supposed to be giving these sacrifices to the Lord. But he's saying, Hey, come and sin in these areas and sin even more. And, you know, just, you know, you guys don't care. So what do I care? Just come and do all your, your terrible things in this area. And even though you're trying to say, Oh, here, God, we're, we're going through the motions. We're giving you sacrifices. Yeah, I know I sin, but here, here, I, I, I sacrifice this to you. And it's kind of this going through the motions sort of things. And this is uh, in the, end times we were talking about in revelation talking about the churches where it was talking about one of them being lukewarm where they're just kind of going through the motions they're not really they're not really following the spirit of the law they're following the letter of the law and this is this is what amos is pointing out then we've talked a little bit about the free will offerings and the thank offerings which again if you remember if we we ever do study deuteronomy or Leviticus, they talk a lot about these free will and uh, thank offerings. And now these offerings aren't for covering any necessary sins. These are, you know, giving thanks to God. And then free will offerings are kind of like you're giving this out of your free will sort of thing. So these, these two sacrifices aren't exactly for removing sins. And most of the sacrifices at the time of this whole process wouldn't be able to remove almost all the sins. So there was some sin offerings that were acceptable, but like there were certain sins at this time that if you committed, there was, that was just the end. You didn't have any, you know, redemption. There was no sacrifice that could be made that would, would wash you clean. Heck, even if you, at the time, if you accidentally killed someone, you would have to flee to a city that was like a sanctuary for people who killed people accidentally. And, uh, you could, there was no sin offering you give and, it was just basically you were at the whim of the people who were coming after you for killing whoever you killed, it's, even if it was an accident, you know. So there was no sin offering at the time that would, would wash away these sins. So we see that even at this time, they all their sins could not be covered by just the processes that they had available to them. So this is all very much setting up the coming of Christ where he would become the perfect sacrifice that would, would truly let us be covered for all of the sins that we could possibly commit. So continuing on in verse six, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I set the rain on one town, but withheld it from another one field had rain, and another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. So at the beginning there, we see, I gave you empty stomachs. And in the Hebrew, this is an idiom that recur that says something about like I gave you clean teeth, which today that would be, you know, like, oh, great, clean teeth, like, you know, clean. No, that's not what it means. It was talking about they would have so little food. They would have, they'd go without food for so long that they wouldn't have any, you know, dirt on their teeth. No, no food would be stuck to their teeth because they wouldn't have any for so long. 
Now, the plagues were to inspire repentance, and of course, as we see, Amos wouldn't be here speaking to them if, of course, they hadn't repented at all. So we see here that these plagues are a lot, and they, they come up, and they look a lot like the plagues that we see in Exodus. So we see here that God is using these plagues against his own people to try and bring them back to him, to remind them, you know, hey, I'm your God. I'm, I'm the one you should be worshiping. So God withheld the rain to create this famine. And as he said, he let it rain in one area, but not another. And one field had rain and another dried up. And then people were staggering without enough water to drink. So again, he's, he's pointing out, you know, the, the rain is my domain. This is where I get to, you know, I can affect your, your life through this. So blight is a kind of disease that comes across most most standard crops that just kind of withers away the leaves. And of course, when they don't have leaves, they don't get enough nutrients or sunlight to create the nutrients they need to grow. So it just kind of makes crops wither away. And these these the blight and mildew are both things that affect the crops' yields and and uh, just causes them to not grow as well. So when he says he brought blight and mildew, that's what he's talking about. And then grapes, olives, and figs were the main crops of Israel. And the drought, blight, and locusts were these main threats that they always face because these crops are very, very sensitive to those sort of things. And of course, in Israel, there's already a dry, arid climate. So not having enough water could seriously cause crops to just fail immediately. But again, we see it It talks about locust and blight and then uh, drought, which is all things that happen during the Exodus imagery. And again, this is where Amos is, is tying in these two things. Like, you guys remember what happened to, to Egypt when they, you know, were putting, you know, not not properly putting God where he was supposed to be? Well... You're getting a taste of that. You you guys are the chosen people. You should be, you know, here closer to God, and yet here you are not. You're you're not worshiping God the way you're supposed to. You're not you're not following him. You're not doing the things you're supposed to do. You're not giving the proper sacrifices. And that's why you're seeing these these same plagues that is or yeah, I keep saying Israel, that Egypt faced that at the time that Israel left Egypt. So continuing on at verse 10 in Amos 4, I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore... This is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns down to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. So we don't often get to see this side of God as much anymore. Uh, a lot of Christians these days like to kind of whitewash God and make him not as, uh, uh, you know, not as judgmental or you know just as he he does show up in the Bible a lot. And this is probably part of the reason why Amos isn't studied all that much because it is a lot of fire and brimstone, and 
a lot of people are wondering, well, what can we really get from all this? I mean, he's just sitting here basically chastising Israel for everything they did and telling them exactly how they're going to face, you know, their judgment, what they're, what they're going to, what they're going to come across. And I, I still think that this is really important for us to go over today, especially today when we, we just need to understand how powerful of a God and honestly, how holy of a God we really serve. Uh, a lot of other gods and other beliefs are pretty fickle and they tend to, uh, if you don't please me, then I'm I'm going to, you know, they're just kind of backbiting in a way. And I think that points a lot to their true nature, that they're actually demons. And if you don't please them, then they uh, retaliate in some way, especially if you've, you've made an agreement with them to begin with. So, uh, but we see God, our God, the one true God, takes a lot longer. He's very patient and long-suffering, and he does eventually get to a point where he's like, okay, fine. You guys have just not listened whatsoever. You haven't followed what you're supposed to, so I'm going to let you face the consequences. I'm going to remove my protection. And, of course, he has every right to do things like that when, when he sees fit. And... If we are just, you know, not not following Christ like we should, then he doesn't have to protect us if he doesn't want to. You can be like, no, nah, you know what? Uh, that was your decision. You made it. Uh, now you get to you get to lie in your bed you made. So we see that these plagues in the actual text are compared to the ones from Egypt. So again, he's he's bringing that together, and then again he he cross references Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a story that. We see two cities back at the time of Abraham that were so full of evil and sin and just general degeneracy and ungodliness that we see that God just reached out and, and wiped these two cities off the maps. So to be compared to Egypt and then Sodom and Gomorrah in basically the same sentence, the same paragraph, like that's really darn damning to Jerusalem. Like, these guys are supposed to be God's people. They're supposed to be the chosen ones. And yet here they are acting just like everyone else in the world. They're not being holy at all. And we see the reference to the, the smell of the dead body or the smell in your camps. Uh, it's talking about the smell that dead bodies give off in the camps. Again, probably also referencing, hey, you guys aren't taking care of your dead like you should. Not not taking care of your dead like Deuteronomy says and all that. You know, we have these these rituals and these rites and these these things that we're supposed to do, and you're not doing it. We're just letting the dead pile up in the streets. So you guys are doing yet another thing that we're not supposed to be doing. And then he says there at the end, prepare to meet your God in verse 12. This is talking about the fact that they're going to face the consequences for what they've done now, of course. But if they do not repent, if they do not come back to God, if they do not try and follow God again, they're going to face the ultimate punishment at the time of judgment yet to come. And of course, that's talking about the time when we all meet God, basically, that we, we face judgment in front of God. And he's talking about prepare to meet God. That's basically what that phrase means is, you know, prepare to meet judgment. And most of the time it comes from people who are, you know, trying or threatening to end your life of course, but Amos isn't here to threaten to end anyone's life. He's just saying, you're going to face the consequences and a lot of you are going to die. And a lot of you 
are going to go meet God here soon. So you better, better figure out what's going on, you know? So here at the end, we see this, this little phrase here, he who forms the mountains, creates the wind and stuff like that. That's called a doxology, which is a praise in, in hymnic language, typical for biblical poetry. So you'll see this a lot in the Psalms and in the, the, uh, Proverbs, you'll see a lot of these hymnic uh, patterns and phrases that show up in Jewish texts, and they're usually supposed to be sung or repeated or in some way used to praise God in some way. So we see, you know, he who forms the mountains, who creates the winds, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. And that's kind of like, you want to say amen at the end of that, even though it doesn't say amen. So in several places we see God talking about the heights of the earth and we're talking about being on the heights. And if you want to do a deep study, you can see there's a lot of times where there is like high places and there's high up places on the earth that are mentioned in the Bible. And it's often talking about a place that's higher, closer to God, this kind of sacred place. Like Jesus and some of his disciples went up to the, to one of the mountains during his time. And that's where God, you know, showed his disciples these, these, you know, Elijah and <clears throat> I think it was Abraham. Anyways, it shows these two and, you know, and proves that he is truly the son of God and all that good stuff. And we just, we see that, we see that these high places are often places that are used to be closer to God. They're, Places that are used for ritual and even pagan religions do that too. They would often build altars and, and these these ritual sites on high places as this idea of the higher you are in the physical realm, the closer to the heavens or closer to God you can be. So we see this a lot throughout the Bible, and it's actually a really interesting study and People like uh, the Bible Project have done a lot on this, so I would highly suggest their stuff if you would like to discuss to discover what high places really mean in the Bible. But it's just something I wanted to point out because we see often God talked about on the high places of the earth and stuff like that. So, what's the takeaway for today? I think the takeaway is that even when we are at our worst, even when we are sinful, even when we've turned from God, there's still a chance that we can come back to God. We can repent. We can truly come around and and accept Jesus into our hearts. And that is when, you know, we can be saved. We can, we can turn our lives around from that. And there's never a place where even if we mess up and we sin and, and whatever it is that we're dealing with where we feel like we might not be saved, we can always turn to God and know that as long as we accept Christ into our heart, as long as we accept the sacrifice he made for our sins, we know we can be saved at the end times. And we know that even if we can't do it, Jesus did. And that's a lot of the things that I've been studying during Lent is exactly how holy God was and how holy Jesus was. He never sinned while he was on this earth. He was a human. He had all the temptations we do. You know, he, he had bad days. He had times where he didn't feel good. And yet he never sinned. And it was just one of these things that he could do it, but he could only do it because he was the son of God. He was God incarnate. Now we can't do it. But with his help, we can at least get into heaven. 
he can cover us. He, his, his sinless life is a sacrifice that is worthy of washing away all our sins. And I think that's what we should take away from all this today. Sorry for the briefer episode, but when it's solo, we just go over what we got in the notes. And of course, these chapters are pretty light to begin with. So we'll see that you know, these episodes have all been lighter anyways to begin with. So uh, just me today. So this is all I got to talk about. Uh, if you like this, give us feedback, you know, let us know. If you'd prefer the faster pace, the lighter episodes, then we'd love to know that. And we'd start being more brief, though we're terrible at brevity. And even though it's just me, I'm terrible at brevity still. Anyways, so thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.